Hey everyone, welcome back. Welcome to the Mission Hills Sermons Podcast. I hope that wherever this finds you, that you are doing well and staying healthy and not at the beach in Orange County. I cannot believe how many people were protesting at the beach. I mean, if you know me at all, you know that I, there are very few people that love the beach more than I do. Um, And even I would not risk life and limb to protest at the beach. And I digress. I think one of the things that is uh, important to remind myself during this time is to try to be kind, try to be kind to other people uh, more so than I probably would normally, and uh, be kind to myself. So I hope that wherever this finds you, that you are finding some moments in your life to be kind and be kind to yourself. Uh, it is a it is difficult days for all of us in different ways, and it's something we talked about last week. That whatever it is that you're you're going through during this time, find some space to to nurture a little bit of kindness because. Uh, I know that the uh, uncertainty and the anxiety, um, it comes in waves. Uh, for me, some nights I'm, I'm not able to sleep very well. Uh, and other nights, I, you know, I'm fine. So it's whatever it is that you're going through, um, give yourself a little grace to, to feel what you're feeling uh, and maybe be, maybe be a bit kinder uh, during this time. So maybe there's something there uh, for us. A few housekeeping notes. Uh, Wednesday... We started uh, the Great Spiritual Migration uh, Zoom book group. Uh, we did the intro and the preface last week, so feel free to join us uh, any Wednesday night. You can read the book, um, or you could just join us on Wednesday night for a conversation. We're talking about uh, what does uh, Christianity have to reclaim, and what does Christianity look like maybe going forward in the next 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, and what are the, the big shifts um, both in, in the U.S. and globally, um, that are happening in Christianity, and what uh, kind of faith do we want to be a part of and help create the future of? So that's kind of um, where our conversations are going to go each week. We'll probably do this uh, book study for uh, the next 10 or 11 weeks, and uh, we'll just see where that goes. Obviously, none of us know how long we'll be um, stuck at home in, in some form of quarantine or unable to, to gather together in person at church. So that's kind of the plan for the next 10 weeks or so. And yeah, we'd love to have you uh, join us on Wednesdays or on Sundays on Zoom at 10 a.m. All of that information is is on the website and the Facebook group. So um, and if you can't find it, uh, feel free to send us an email, missionhillsla at gmail.com. So that's a little bit of the housekeeping for this week. Again, I hope everybody is doing well. And if you need anything, don't hesitate to, to reach out. Um, we want to be able to do everything that we possibly can during this time uh, to help each other and to and to stay safe. So, leading into our question for this week, um, our question is is going to be kind of a simple question, but I want to ask, what are you feeling right now? What are you feeling right now? And you can think about that question in any way you want. Um, something that. Maybe you're feeling in your body, uh, maybe something that has happened this week um, comes to mind. What are you feeling right now? And this morning, we're going to be talking about uh, John chapter 10, 
1 through 10. And on Sunday, we will talk about the, uh, that passage is kind of taken out of context. So we'll be kind of talking about the full context of that on, on Sunday. But I want to look at the, the text, uh, which talks about shepherds and gates, and Jesus kind of makes his metaphors. We're going to talk about that passage. We're going to talk about um, radical inclusivity and the difficulty of suffering um, as a narrow way to life. The, the difficulty of suffering as a narrow way to life. We've obviously been uh, talking a lot about suffering. We're going through a, a collective um, grieving period right now, and obviously we're surrounded by so much suffering. Um, cases and, and deaths due to COVID-19 are still on the rise, and um, you know we know that we're all... Um, you know, just we're grieving and, and that there's a level of uncertainty and anxiety um, that we're all going through. And um, part of what we're going to talk about today is just um, the difficulty of, of suffering and maybe um, what spaces in that experience there are for us. Uh, so th- thinking about suffering, we'll go ahead and start with a, a poem by the poet David White, which many of you know that... Um, I, I like. I'm gonna let me pull this up on my laptop really quick. I'm going to read this poem, and this is one that he wrote uh, about a fr- uh, to a friend and about a friend that was going through a really difficult time. Above the mountains, the geese turn into the light again, painting their black silhouettes on an open sky. Sometimes everything has to be inscribed across the heavens so you can find the one line already written inside of you. Sometimes it takes a great sky to find that first bright and indescribable wedge of freedom in your own heart. Sometimes the bones of the black sticks left when the fire has gone out Someone has written something new in the ashes of your life. You are not leaving. Even as the light fades quickly now, you are arriving. And maybe that sets the tone for this morning, thinking about where we're going to go in this conversation, um, about radical inclusivity in, in the narrow path of embracing uh, suffering. And I think this poem really gets it, um, at that idea that... Um, in the midst of suffering, uh, we're not going to go up to, you know, some, a friend or a family and, uh, you know, point out their suffering and be like, oh, this is good for you. Um, you know, I know you're uh, suffering right now, but this will be great for you later. Um, not a good tactic. Don't recommend it. But yet there is maybe an invitation, right, in this idea of something new forming in the ashes, right? And, and, and that's kind of where I want to... Um, muse on this morning, that maybe in the midst of this, um, that is a, uh, a narrow way. We're going to be talking about gates, and that, that um, path and understanding is a narrow way. And maybe that's not super helpful. Maybe if we're going through, uh, I know I've been through uh, really dark times of, of suffering, and um, many of you know, like, whenever I was finishing up my time at Fuller, had just a really um, debilitating uh, physical, I don't know, it wasn't an illness, I could never, I was never diagnosed. Uh, I went to all of these different kinds of doctors, and basically it was like a form of extreme vertigo, if you can think about that. 
and I was just constantly dizzy. My vision would trail even when I wasn't moving. I would just look down at the floor and then look at like my hand, for instance, and everything was um, dizzying and blurry. So it was extremely debilitating. Um, and it was obviously extremely frustrating because no one could diagnose me and uh, no doctor had any answers. They're like, well, maybe it'll just go away. And it took over the course of about 18 months for this um, whatever I had to slowly fade and kind of go back into um, some semblance of normal life for me. But in the midst of that, I, I'm not sure I could hear a message of like, oh, this is gonna be, this is gonna be good for you. So um, if you are going through a really difficult time, um, I, I hope that you don't hear um, this message or what I'm saying in that kind of way because um, the narrow path of suffering is one that we wouldn't wish upon anyone and we definitely wouldn't wish upon ourselves and it's hard to grapple with when we're thinking about the collective period of suffering that we're going through as a culture and a global community. So um, yeah, I just wanted to maybe preface all, all of that um, to talk about how suffering is, is real, but that there is, there is space in this process to, to find something, to discover something, and to um, be okay in the midst of. Like there's a settling in, uh, into some space um, where we don't know what's on the other side of, of us, of this experience. But that this, there's an embrace of life rather than a suppression of the anxiety or uh, a medicating of the anxiety. Let's just get rid of it. Let's move on. Let's um, distract ourselves. Um, all that is, you know, has, has some time and place, but maybe there's something of an embrace um, to be experienced here. And I think our, our lectionary text has something of that to say to us. So our lectionary text is John 10, 1 through 10, and I'll read it out of the message this morning. And Jesus says, Let me set this before you as plainly as I can. If a person climbs over or through the fence of a sheep pen, instead of going through the, through the gate, you know that he's up to no good, a sheep rustler. If the shepherd walks right up to the gate, the gatekeeper opens the gate to him, and the sheep recognizes his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he gets them all out, he leads them, and they follow because they are familiar with his voice. They won't follow a stranger's voice because they will scatter. They're not used to the sound of it. And Jesus told this simple story. They had no idea what he was talking about. So he tried again. I'll be explicit. I am the gate for the sheep. Those who are up to no good, sheep stealers, every one of them. The sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Anyone who comes through me will be cared for and will go in and out freely to find pasture. A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they could have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. The word of the Lord. So, like I said earlier, this whole story goes 
um, to verse 21. And so I think that some of this can be unhelpful because uh, it cuts off half of the story. So um, I think whenever this is taken out of context, let's just get it out up front. It sounds exclusive, right? Like we know this um, from the way that this has been misappropriated uh, in Christianity, that um, Jesus is the way, truth, and the life, uh, or Jesus is the gate, and only certain people come in, there's thieves, and all this kind of stuff. It can be used as a way to um, prop up exclusive religion. And that is absolutely not what this text is doing. And so I just want to say that up front. Um, we're going to talk about um, sh- a little bit about sheep. Um, and it's making me think of like uh, all these conspiracy theories uh, right now that are going on that still bother me, particularly in Christianity and the term sheeple. Has anybody heard this term? Uh, and people just go along with the mainstream media or what, whatever it is, uh, are called sheeple that they just sort of like follow whatever they're told by the mainstream. But then there's these like secret people online that, uh, you know, know the truth and know the real story and all this sort of stuff. So well, he won't get into all of that, but if you'll humor me, let's go, sheeple. Okay, let's let's look at what might uh, this uh, lectionary text might have for us this morning. Um, so most of us, like, it's difficult for most of us to understand a text like this because uh, we live in a city. Uh, I don't know anything about sheep. I don't know anything about sheep herding. Jesus explains a little bit in in this text about the dynamics of sheep in that sheep know and recognize the shepherd's voice. And that's um, true from my Google research, uh, that sheep and shepherds have a intimate, uh, an intimate relationship, that shepherds can identify individual sheep, and that sheep also know um, the shepherd at a, like, to think about it as like a deep knowing. It's like a, um, it's like an intuitive relationship. And so, um, that's an important thing to realize that, you know, we don't maybe identify with some of these agrarian or, or ancient metaphors, but, uh, well, I, I guess even, you know, the disciples and the Pharisees that were gathered didn't get it. The disciples, uh, perhaps because they were fishermen, they're like, oh, we, we fish, we, we don't know anything about sheep. So um, I don't know why they don't get it, but it's, uh, there's some sense of solidarity in, in this story that um, we, I think, miss just because we don't live in a, uh, a rural setting. So we don't have the firsthand experience of, of that kind of knowing, right? But a good way to think about uh, the gate, um, the gate for a lot of these sheep pens would have been like a stone, uh, like a, an opening in a stone, low stone wall. Uh, and the stone wall could be, um, there could be a gate there, or there could be just brush. Um, and the shepherd could even um, lie down in the opening. So maybe as a visual, that can help us understand this text a, a little bit more. And, and then we have the word of the thieves, or the message calls them like sheep wrestlers, right? Um, we have these thieves. What's interesting to me about this word is that it's also one that was used f- to describe religious zealots. So um, if you're familiar with any of the Gospels, um, Barabbas is a character who was a criminal and he was a, a violent uh, religious insurrectionist. And the term here that Jesus uses for, for thieves is the same that's used for, um, for violent religious um, insurrectionists, uh, zealots. So maybe Jesus here 
Um, you know, while I think that this is, you know, if you take the full context of John 10, 1 through 21, it is not a message of exclusivity. Rather, it is a message of radical, like radical, radical, radical inclusivity. Okay. Um, and I think there might be a hint in this, uh, Jesus using the, the zealot word for thieves. And he's, he's being critical of um, the Pharisaic and um, the violence that are these exclusionary impulses of tribalism and cultural religion, right? So he, he is being completely radically inclusive. Like, I am the gate. This is not sort of a limiting thing, but an expansive one, while also being critical of those with a kind of violent or exclusionary um, mode of being. So in in verse 16, Jesus talks about um, bringing in all the sheep. Um, It is this widening of who is included in the kingdom of God. It really reminds me of this passage from Isaiah 56, 1 through 8, which is, uh, it begins the part in Isaiah that scholars refer to as third Isaiah. So Isaiah is typically broken up into uh, thirds, and scholars refer to this section as written by or compiled by Isaiah the preacher, or the preaching text of Isaiah. And I think Jesus sees his ministry and and way of being an invitation in the world uh, very similarly to um, this kind of text from Isaiah. And I hear hear a lot of common common themes. So I'm going to read this. one through eight. God's message is this, guard my common good, do what's right and do it in the right way for salvation is just around the corner. My setting things right isn't about going into action. How blessed are you who enter into these things, men and women who embrace them who keep Sabbath and don't defile it, who watch your step and don't do anything evil, make sure no outsider who now follows God ever has an occasion to say that God put me in second class and I don't really belong. And make sure that no physically harmed person is ever made to think I am damaged goods or I don't really belong. For God says to the mutilated who keep my Sabbaths, and those uh, choose what delights me and keep a firm grip on my covenant. I'll provide them an honored place in my family and within my city, even more honored than that of the sons and daughters. I'll confirm permanent honors on them that will never be revoked. And as for the outsiders who now follow me, working for me, loving my name, and wanting to be my servants, all who keep the Sabbath and don't defile it, holding fast to my covenant, I'll bring them to the holy mountain. I'll give them joy in my house of prayer. They'll be welcome to worship the same as insiders, to bring burnt offerings and sacrifices to the altar. Oh yes, my house of worship will be known as a house of prayer for all people. The decree of the master God himself gathers in the exiles of Israel, and I will gather others also. Gather them in 
with those already gathered. Okay, so that is uh, Isaiah 56, 1 through 8, and I hear so much of the same uh, values that Jesus is um, obviously embraced for his ministry. Um, We see in in John chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man and welcomes him into the community, welcomes him in as a follower, as a follower. Um, You know, in in the ancient... uh, Jewish society, you know, people thought that uh, some sort of like physical ailment meant that that person or their family had sinned in some way or had done something wrong. And, you know, you hear in this Isaiah text, you know, let no physically harmed person say that I'm a second class citizen or that I don't belong. Uh, Jesus embodies this in his life and ministry. It's like all these people that, um, you know, the Pharisees or, or the religious folks that were wrapped up in the sort of exclusionary um, cultural religion of the time that Jesus is pushing back against, he's simultaneously opening the gate. He's simultaneously welcoming those who have been excluded, which is exactly um, what the, the preacher in, in Third Isaiah is talking about here. Um, I will gather others also, gather them in with, with those already gathered, my house will be known as a house of prayer for all people, right? We can go on and on and on. So Jesus is dismantling a certain kind of worldview that robs life or misses the point or intends harm or violence or exploitation based on any kind of certain criteria. It's a radical welcome that seems just wrong to the Pharisees, right? They don't understand. So it's like, oh, what? And Jesus is like, let me be explicit here. Um, this radical welcome seems so wrong to the Pharisees um, because they hold really tightly to their status, their religion, um, their wealth, etc. Right? Jesus sees a wider acceptance and invites everybody through the gate. Um, you know, John is linking this Jesus metaphor later in in this chapter uh, to Jesus as the good shepherd. This is a a messianic role that John is conferring onto Jesus in the line of Moses and David and um, the prophets in the Old Testament, right? This messianic line. So I'm curious, like musing on some of these questions, like the end of verse 10 says, you know, I came to have, give them real and eternal life, as as the message says. Uh, Other translations says life to the full or abundant life. What does abundant life look like in the midst of suffering, in the midst of uh, collective suffering, what does abundant life look like uh, in general throughout our whole lives? Like, how do we think about abundant life, particularly in a culture that um, steers us towards a life of abundance, like a life of stuff, right? We want to have like all the things, and um, you know, there's nothing particularly wrong with with things or, or you know, uh, purchasing things to to that we enjoy. Um, but where do we see Jesus' invitation into a full and abundant life juxtaposed against um, the messages and way of being in our culture and society? Maybe that's a question that we can think of. What kind of life does our world consider abundant? And what kind of life do you consider abundant? Maybe that's a way of thinking about it. So finally, I want to think about that in the context of welcoming and embracing everything and suffering, right? Um, Jesus is both radically inclusive, but also very explicit in pushing back against certain kinds of worldview that worldviews that don't lead to abundant life, right? Like that's his um, 
that's his and I think one of our challenges, right? It's like we're radically inclusive, but you're, you're not radically inclusive of everything. You're radically inclusive of things that bring about uh, good, abundant life. Those things that are, are welcoming like the Isaiah text. Um, what, are the, what are the values um, that, we're, that we're grasping at here um, is another way to think about it. So what does um, this abundant life look like in the midst of, of suffering? And it's interesting that the lectionary um, chooses 1 Peter 2. They choose it because uh, 1 Peter 2, um, Peter writes and mentions a shepherd. So um, naturally the lectionary makes that parallel. But I do want to just read this little bit, because he, he links uh, this to suffering, and I think that's kind of an interesting pairing. He writes this, The anointed one suffered for us and left us his example so that we could follow in his steps. When he was verbally abused, he didn't return the abuse. When he suffered, he didn't make threats to cause suffering in return. Instead, he trusted that all would be put right by the one who is just when he judges. It's very fascinating that um, it says, you know, he suffered, but he didn't cause suffering in return. There's a trust there that all would be put right. All will be well. All will be well. In all manner of things, all shall be well. It doesn't ignore the suffering, but it's like a different level of embrace and acceptance of the fullness of life, the abundance of life. I said fullness weird there, but... <laughs> um, it's, it's an embrace of the fullness of this um, space. And it's, it's interesting to me because, um, like we said earlier, like it's, during this time, it's very easy for us to want like, um, to want to suppress some of the suffering and some of the anxiety. And not all of that is bad, right? Be kind to yourself. Um, but Jesus is um, embracing a life of joy, abundance, um, that includes suffering. And Peter's obviously writing to um, a group of Christians that are facing um, potentially violence and persecution and all manner of suffering. And, and that's where the context of this message of um, Jesus suffering and embracing um, the, the, the mode of being that also includes suffering. Um, and so that's interesting that, that Peter um, brings that into this conversation. So uh, I think it's good during this time, um, as we close today, of pandemic to be okay with not being okay, that it's okay to be dealing with your stress and anxiety in, in different ways. Um, but how might this invitation uh, to acknowledge the suffering, to rest in it, or to laugh at it, or just to cry with it... Um, how much is that an invitation to walk or run or crawl <laughs> crawl um, into that welcoming gate? Uh, like I was thinking about the passage in Matthew where it says, you know, uh, Jesus says narrow is the gate that leads to life. It's like, yeah, because um, that gate of life being initiated by life into suffering is something that most people don't want to have to go through. Um, and you think about our culture today, it's way easier to avoid suffering than to find healthy ways to embrace it. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be dealing with your stress and anxiety in your own way. But how might this narrow gate, this welcoming gate that Jesus sets up towards abundant life, 
that welcomes everyone and everything, including your suffering, including those uh, dark nights. Like when I think about, um, it's not that if I don't suffer, but I think about some of those dark moments of suffering. It's like, how do, in my life, uh, how do I embrace or how could I embrace those as a welcoming of everything? And as we close, I want to think about this idea of welcoming, um, that this gate that Jesus represents into a life of abundance, into the kingdom of God, into the way of being, of healing, of justice, of all things being put right, as welcome. It is not exclusive. It is inclusive. It is welcome. And I want to close with the welcoming prayer from Thomas Keating. He writes, welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me today because that I know that it's for my healing. So I welcome all thoughts, feelings, emotions, persons, situations, and conditions. I let go of my desire for power and control. I let go of my desire for affection, esteem, approval, and pleasure. And I let go of my desire for survival and security. I let go of my desire to change any situation, condition, person, or myself. I open to the love and presence of God and God's action within me. Amen. All right, I'll leave it there today. uh, And I hope that you join us on Sunday mornings at 10. We'll have a conversation about this. And as we approach this week, as always, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest. Amen. Be well.